You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, we're going to look at some of the historical background of the setting of 1 Samuel. To begin with, there was confusion and dissension among the Israelites during this period following Judges. Out of this period, the Old Testament history, Yahweh brought forth his prophet Samuel. Samuel served as the first priest, first as a priest at Shiloh as well as a prophet, and then as a judge over the Israelites. One commentary on the Israelites during this period of 1st and 2nd Samuel describes this period of history like this. Triumph and tragedy are two words that describe the content of the books of Samuel. Some of Israel's greatest hours of glory and darkest hours of defeat are retold with simplicity and candor. The faith and failures of Israel were viewed in light of God's sovereign grace. End quote. So as we look back at the book of Judges, there was one repeated refrain. That refrain was this. In those days... There was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. That was in Judges 17.6. Then again, in Judges 18.1, we read, In those days, there was no king in Israel. This phrase was repeated again in chapter 19, verse 1 of Judges, and also chapter 21, verse 25. Then in 1 Samuel 8, verses 4 through 6, we read this. Then the elders, all the elders of Israel, gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations." So this is what the occurrences were at that period of time. Samuel was growing old. He returned to Ramah. Then his sons were corrupt. They were corrupt judges. So things in Israel were in upheaval. There was great dissension amongst all the people. Then we look back at the campaigns of Joshua which took place in 1400 B.C., this enabled Israel to occupy the hill country and some sections of the lowlands. What also happened during this period was the infiltration of the Canaanite social and religious practices. This included Baal worship and all kinds of idolatry. This had been adopted by the Israelites 
They were basically apostates at this period of time in history. Then they turned, the Israelites gradually degenerated into the state of total apostasy. They turned from the one true God, Yahweh, and gradually started worshiping idols. The rise of divinely appointed judges during this period, the judges mainly provided for the military needs. They didn't have the essence of the spiritual side addressed because what happened at that time, the priesthood was corrupt. There was a noticeable spiritual decline during the period of judges. There was also during this period much internal strife among the Israelites. There was a great deal of military pressure upon Israel during this time when Samuel the prophet made his way between the 1000 and 1050 B.C. period. The books of Samuel cover approximately 135 years between 1st and 2nd Samuel. As we look at this, there are several themes, and MacArthur gives one that's uh, in general consensus with many of the commentators. He says this, there are four dominant themes. First and most important is the Davidic covenant. Both in 1st and 2nd Samuel, these are framed by two references to the anointed king. The prayer of Hannah in 1st Samuel chapter 2:10, we read, "Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth." And he will give strength to his king. And he will exalt the horn of his anointed. Second was the theme of God's sovereignty. We see God's sovereign hand in the birth of Samuel. And also David being brought in the replaced Saul. A man after God's own heart. Third the divine work of God, the Holy Spirit, which empowered men for divine tasks. This happened throughout First and Second Samuel. And fourth, the books of First and Second Samuel demonstrate the personal and national effects of sin. This is a sad commentary on Israel. As we look at the book of First Samuel. We know that the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel were originally one book. Once the Septuagint was completed, the book of Samuel was split into two books. 1st Samuel, there is 31 chapters. and 2nd Samuel, there are 24 chapters. John C. Davis and John C. Whitcomb describe their book, <coughs> describe in their book entitled Israel from Conquest to Exile, a superb book of not only Israel's history, but also the spiritual implications of the truths of these two great books. The stories told in these two books of significant value historically as well as didactically, First and Second Samuel. This is also, which amazed me, is a masterpiece of national renown for the Israelites. The book's 
of the book of Samuel is considered a masterpiece. Samuel himself was mentioned with the high regard of the psalmist in Psalm 99 in this way. And Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called upon the Lord and he answered them. <clears throat> then from the book of Jeremiah, we read this. Then the Lord said to me, even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not be with this people. Send them away from me, from my presence, and let them go. He was addressing the unrepentant Israel once again in this portion of Jeremiah. Samuel's appearance at this time, as the Israelites were so divided in a spiritual state of generosity, this was in Yahweh's perfect timing. When we think of someone's time, someone dies. That was the perfect time. That's when God called them. That was the anointed time for them. When we think of somebody born, that was sovereignly the time the Lord brought that person to us. So we know that Samuel was born at the perfect time, and we know we were all born at the perfect time. So we can rest in that. As we consider Hannah, who was one of the wives of Elkanah, the other wives was Peninnah, who was quite fertile and had several children. Hannah would have been considered a woman who had everything in the 1100 BC period. She was married to a man who was from a prominent family because as we look in the first verse of Samuel, it gives all of his background and his roots. He also must have been a man of some wealth because he had two wives that he took care of. <clears throat> Hannah had the affection of her husband. And we read in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1, when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and after all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. This was quite difficult for Hannah. For her rival, Peninnah, would provoke her. She would always be making snide remarks to her. So brought Hannah to the point of bitterness and sorrow. <clears throat> She wasn't able to conceive. But as we look through scriptures, the barren women that we find noted in scriptures, there was Sari, who later was Sarah. She had no child for 10 chapters. Then Sarah was able to conceive. She had Isaac. Abraham was over 100 years old when he had Isaac. When Isaac was 40 years old, he took Rebekah to be his wife. She had no children for 25 years. Rachel had no children for years. Then she bore Joseph. Yahweh raised up Samson from the fruitless womb of Mahoah's wife in Judges 13. In the New Testament, there was Elizabeth, who was barren at an advanced age, who was then able to give birth to John the Baptist in Luke 5 through 25. Barren women 
have in differing periods of biblical history been used of Yahweh, God seems to do through his people what seems impossible for mankind to achieve themselves. In the case of barrenness, Hannah wanted a child. And she came to the point where being provoked by Peninnah, who was her rival, when the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions to his wife Peninnah, and I already gave that, that he also gave a double portion to Hannah. <clears throat> well, it happened year after year that she would go up to the house of the Lord and then Peninnah would provoke her. So she wept and she would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and do not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? That must have been quite comforting to Hannah at the time. The, world's, the words of Elkanah tried to bring solace, but it only brought more distress upon Hannah. So as we begin, we'll go back to 1 Samuel 1, and we'll give just an overview of what transpired here. So I'll read uh, from 1 to 8, verse 8 in chapter 1. Now there was a certain man from Ramathaim, Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah the son of Jerohom, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh and to two sons, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all his sons and to all her daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord. She would provoke her. So she wept and would not eat. Then Canis, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting by the seat of, by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come to his head. So she was dedicating the son that she was asking the Lord for back to God 
for a life of service as a Nazarite. Then, verse 12, it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart only, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Now think about this. Eli's in old age, and his sons are perverted. They steal from the uh, meat to be offered as sacrificial meat. Then they were immoral with the women that would come to care for the temple. But he said to her this, How long will you be make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. So he didn't have enough discernment to even know this woman was in great grief. She was praying, but she couldn't pray. The words wouldn't even come out. She was sobbing. She was praying in her heart. But Hannah replies very respectfully. Listen to what her reply was. No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my heart, my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a worthless woman. A worthless woman would have been an unregenerate woman. Same terms were used for Eli's sons. They were unregenerate. Do not consider your maidservant a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked him. She said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So as we get to that part, we see Hannah's trust in Yahweh. She understood. She has given it to him. She has made her petition before the Lord. She has made her vow that if he gives her a son, she will give him back for a life of service to the Lord. <clears throat> what a scene this must have been. Here's the woman in such intense anguish, but only her lips were moving. She was pouring out her heart before Yahweh. Her body trembled and her lips moved, but there was no sound. She went through this. She received a blessing from Eli and went on her way and no longer was in sadness. Eli, who was not only a high priest, but he was also had two pernicious sons who were allowed to continue serving as priests at the tabernacle in Shiloh, knowing that they were fornicators, adulterers, lascivious men who also stole the choice slices of meat which were to be offered in the sacrificial burnt offerings, knowing that they deserved to be stoned to death for their wicked behavior never brought them before the elders of the city to be punished or put to death. When a godly woman such as Hannah pours her heart out before the Lord with great sorrow, Eli, the high priest, accuses her of being drunk. This is a freedom 
that Hannah had before the Lord. She was a woman of a heavy spirit, and yet she understood God's people as God's people, as did the psalmist in Psalm 142.2. She knew that the psalmist said this, I pour out my heart, my complaint before the Lord. I declare my trouble before him in bitterness of soul and many tears out of grief and despair. She pours out her anguish. Yahweh is a God who allows her to do that. Following Hannah's explanation, Eli then blesses Hannah. And her response was, she left and went her way. Her face no longer sad. She could leave the tabernacle after she poured out her petition before the Lord, trusting in his sovereign answer. Hannah knew wherever God desired for her, it was his perfect providence. She trusted that completely. Just as the Apostle Paul had instructed the Philippian saints with this imperative, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hannah had that peace. She could pray and leave it in God's hands. <clears throat> that was, by the way, Philippians 4, 4 through 6. Hannah had informed the high priest of her oppression, but the simple answer of Eli brought forth peace and comfort. We can learn from this a didactic truth of this grand book. Again, Samuel is not just historical, but it brings forth this great truth in Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God, is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. We know that from 2 Timothy 3. As we look at the Old Testament, this great historical book gives us didactic teaching as well. One thing we must not try to do is make application of these truths from this particular narrative. Uh, For those women today who may have not been able to have a child, God used Elkanah and Hannah to bring forth his prophet Samuel. That was a unique circumstance. But also his omnipotence and omnipresence as well as his sovereignty was on display there. He displays all of his old attributes in the Old Testament as well as new. So what may begin as a normative for this is not normative for all people. This was a unique situation in which Santa, uh, Hannah was granted a child to bring forth this prophet, priest, and judge. In verses 19 and 20, we read this. Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. 
And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, I will go, not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him, that he may be a peer before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the, room, the woman remained and nursed her son until he weaned him. So as we think of this, she was able to have her son for the first period of his life, and then she dedicated him and brought him to Eli. Christians could do well to follow Hannah in regards to her covenant with the Lord, as we have children to give them over to the Lord. That is the greatest thing that we could pray for our children, that they would be God's children, that they would turn to God in repentance and for salvation and also come to serve them all their days. doesn't mean that they'll be pastors necessarily. If they are, that's a blessing. But whatever they do, they do unto the Lord. They live for the Lord and they raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. <clears throat> this was a release for Hannah. She had gone to Shiloh to bring her offerings to the Lord. She poured out her heart to the Lord there in Shiloh. Eli, after hearing what Hannah had of her sorrow and oppression, was able to give her that blessing. Eli could not call upon God for the miracle of opening Hannah's womb, but he was able to intercede on her behalf with a petition to Yahweh. Eli called upon the creator, sustainer of all things, to answer this lowly woman who had no child. There's a specific element in Samuel's position. He's to become God's prophet to Israel. He's also God's chosen uh, for a crucial part in this, in redemptive history as he's a chosen inst instrument for specific tasks. From Samuel, we find the man David, a man after God's own heart, the one whose kingdom is forever, the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has anointed him as ruler over his people. This is in First Samuel 13, verse 14. We stop here to begin a portion of God's word in which we see his sovereignty on display. We know that uh, we find comfort in all things that uh, we know that God brings to us. No matter what we experience, we can trust in God's sovereign hand. This should give us comfort. Remember the... Uh, quote that Spurgeon said that God's sovereignty was the pillow 
upon which he laid his head. He had complete trust in God's sovereignty for his life. So this is going to be a short lesson, but I wanted to bring forth this introduction to show you where Hannah was, and as she appealed to God to have a son, he answered that prayer and brought forth Samuel. So we'll continue in uh, chapter 2 next week, and this will be on the prayer in the Song of Hannah, which has great depth, and it also parallels the great prayer of David and also the Song of Mary. So we'll look at those next week. And as we go, just remember this from this opening chapter. God works sovereignly through this, but that didn't come easily for Hannah. She prayed, she mourned, she was in great suffering. She was being ridiculed by uh, Benina constantly, bringing forth the knowledge that she had all her children, showing to make sure she had enough food for her children. Oh, that's right, Hannah, you don't have any, but you got a double portion of food from your husband. He loves you, but God must not. This is some of the conversation that possibly could have gone on, which put Hannah on her knees before the Lord. We don't always understand God's providence, but we can trust and his sovereign providence for our lives. So if we go away with nothing else from this first chapter, we see Sovereign's hand of God working through this period of history to bring about a prophet, priest, and judge who will serve him all his days. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.